Residents at Brightview Senior Living Communities enjoy enhanced possibilities, independence, and choice. Brightview Dulles Corner in Herndon and Brightview, Great Falls, offer vibrant senior independent living, assisted living, and memory care services through various daily programs and cultural events. Chef-prepared meals, safety and security, transportation, resort-style amenities, and high-quality care. Everything you need is here. Discover more at brightviewseniorliving.com. Equal housing opportunity. An epic matchup between your two favorite teams, and you're at the game getting the most from what it means to be here with American Express. You breeze through the card member entrance, stop by the lounge. Now it's almost tip-off, and everyone's already on their feet. This is going to be good. That's the powerful backing of American Express. See how to elevate your live sports experience at AmericanExpress.com slash with Amex. Eligible American Express card required. Benefits vary by card and by venue. Terms apply. All-inclusive vacations make life easy with endless eats, bottomless drinks, and never-ending fun. So booking an all-inclusive vacation should be easy too, right? That's where Apple Vacations comes in. Book your all-inclusive getaway with Apple Vacations and receive exclusive perks at select resorts. You'll find the best deals at Ryu Hotels and Resorts in Mexico, the Caribbean, and Central America, and enjoy a selection of exclusive nonstop vacation flights. Turn on Easy Mode at applevacations.com or call your local travel advisor to get started. Visit applevacations.com or call your local travel advisor to get started. Hello and welcome to the Chase Down Podcast. My name is Carter Rodriguez. I'll be your host. Uh, Justin Rowan remains uh, douching it up in Mexico, going to swim up bars, uh, maybe scuba diving a little bit. Snorkeling. Snorkeling's worse, so he's probably doing that. So to help cover a suddenly fun Cavaliers team, clearly Justin being gone was the answer we all needed. Uh, We've got Jeff Nomina. How you doing, Jeff? I'm good. I I find it amazing that Following Justin on his all his little adventures around the world all the time um, make me dislike him this much more. Yeah, every single time he posts. Yeah, well, like you can kind of trick he can kind of trick us into thinking he's like a little less of a bro than he is. You know, like like when he documents his life visually, it's very very clear what we're dealing with here. Yeah, I've never seen a bro try so hard not to be a bro, and it, it, <laughs> I didn't realize how much you can't hide it. <laughs> Like I just didn't realize how difficult it was to not to not grow <laughs> when you are just naturally inclined to be one. He wears basketball jerseys at the gym, <laughs> and he didn't know that was bad. <laughs> he just ruined his life with that oh, realization. What a world! Well, do you think he still does that? Do you think he yes, like self-consciously still think, does it? I don't think he sees anything wrong with it. I think he thinks I'm wrong for being mean to him about it. It's amazing. Uh, similarly amazing uh, the, have been the Cleveland Cavaliers. They're five and two in games with Kevin Love playing. Um, they look like a competent basketball team, Jeff. Do you think it's as simple as Love is back and thus the Cavs are good? I think I, it's certainly a combination of things. Adding Kevin Love is, is certainly a big deal. Yeah, you know, I mean, adding somebody of that talent that that makes everyone slot down a notch and and make a little bit more sense. Schedule the schedule has done them some favors too, though. Oh, not that the Magic are bad, but you know, a couple games against the Knicks and yeah, stuff that, it, I mean, it helps a little. It bit. definitely helps. I, you know, it's funny we when we talk about how he allows everyone to 
to slot into their natural roles. Sure, that makes sense. But I do think uh, his value has been even a little more intrinsic than that. Um, in terms of, uh, I was talking to Chris Barnwall, uh, formerly of CBS Sports, now of uh, NBA Live uh, employment. Um, and, and we were talking about just kind of the way that he gives this offense a purpose. Um, and, you know, it's kind of hard to explain in a way that actually makes sense because it's not that it's not just a matter of, okay, he has gravity or, okay, he's a good passer. or Okay. He gets to the line and scores efficiently. It's this kind of nebulous effect he has on the way everyone moves on the court. I, I don't, I'm not sure how to explain it better than that, but everyone seems to um, kind of move with this purpose and have a greater understanding of what they're supposed to do just by him being out there. Yeah, and I, you know something I talk about a lot in baseball is that a lot of times going from a good player to a great player isn't as big of an impact as going from a bad player to a mediocre player. But we kind of have it both ways here. We're going from you know starting Chris or whoever to starting Kevin Love, and, and there's such a huge gap there that I I, I think it's kind of easy to overlook that because we've just had so many different starting lineups. But he's replacing you know pretty bad players, and he's a he's a well above average player. So I think the the gap there is just so huge too. Um, of who he's replacing that it just kind of helps the the entire talent level is raised significantly just by him being on there and that's not to say that he's great but the where we're starting from was so low that um you know a, a really good player like him raises that quite a bit it's funny that you mentioned talent because talent is a really funny word right because there are young guys on the like someone might say colin sexton is talented um but when i think about what kevin love adds to the team when he's on the floor to me, it's so much just like he thinks the game at a higher level than anyone else is capable of. And I think we understate how important that is uh, in terms of being an all-star and, and playing at that level. It's, it really is such a mental thing. It's like he just sees a couple steps faster than everyone else on the team, including the young guys who do have, who are, you know, starting to figure it out a little bit in, in Jetty Osmond. There's still such a difference. And there's a, there's a degree of osmosis that happens there. Yeah. And at the risk of, of Ryan Morton jumping through my wall, like the Kool-Aid man, having guys like Kevin Love and, and even Della Vidova, who, who at least just are, are legit NBA players who can see the court and, and know what they're doing out there. You know, when Tristan Thompson comes back, he'll be another one. It lets the young guys make mistakes a little bit more because they have guys who can guide them through that and who can get them in the right spots and get them where they need to be. Because how many times this year was it just all these guys who didn't really know what they were supposed to be doing out there running around getting themselves in bad situations? Man, it just feels like a whole season ago that we, we saw an offense built around Rodney Hood uh, dribble handoff <laughs> mid-rangers. I looked up his numbers today, like, oh, I wonder if he's, you know, excelling out in, out in Portland. And he is not. He's, yeah, it's like eight points per game. Yeah, he just scored 27, though, so maybe. maybe they oh, they got, got the Rodney Hood game. Yeah, they oh, got the Rodney Hood game. Um, yeah, it's just it just feels different. Um, and I, I just really do think it's all love, though, in a lot of ways. Like, love allows everyone else to look okay or, or good, in, in Jetty's case especially. Uh, in a way, and not that Jetty can't have good games without love, but with it, it, those two are really playing quite well together, I feel. And that's very and, encouraging. And everybody's, you know, pointed it out at this point, but the the attitude of the team, I don't, I, Bro, it's for being crazy. a losing team, they, they've been pretty light all year for being as bad as they are. I don't think the locker room ever got too gross. I mean, there's some of those rumors about the locker room and Sexton and stuff. I think that was a little bit overblown, but uh, it, it's crazy 
for what we know about Kevin Love and like all of the stuff over the last few years that he's gone through, that he's the guy keeping that locker room this light and this fun and kind of letting, letting some of that energy from the young guys come out and then be channeled in a good way. It's crazy. I just did not expect this in any way. Yeah. One of the, in any team you're, you're on what professionally in, in sports, um, one of the best hallmarks of a good culture um, is when, uh, when people are celebrating each other's successes. Um, and, you know, there's no greater evidence than that than how happy everyone on the team is when Jetty hits a three or when Love hits a, hits a three or even when Nance hits a, hits a big shot. Like, everyone is just really sharing those moments together. And, you know, I hate to be um, – I hate to Arnovitz this because that's like <laughs> Kevin Arnovitz. Like, every time there's a good team, he always just jo- – like will like embed himself in the locker room and be like, <laughs> have you noticed that uh, like he did with the Hawks and he did with the Blazers? It's like, yeah, these guys just love each other, you know? And, and I just think that's a big part of it. It's like, no, they're just good. So they're happy. <laughs> it's fun to win. It's fun to win games in the regular season. Um, oh yeah. And that certainly makes life easier, so, but it, it, it is changing things quite a bit. Yeah. So like, I don't know from that end, like it's just a team that's a little easier to root for. And I don't know how much that is, having some leftovers who have done some winning, but I really think more than that, it's like the guys who they think about how depressing Antoine Jameson and Mo Williams were in that first post LeBron year guys who, you know, LeBron left and they didn't see the value in being here anymore. And then this, this year, yes, this team is just stinks on ice and they've played. I they think they've had 27 different players this year. But you have Tristan Thompson around being very supportive. You have Kevin Love around being very supportive of his teammates, especially Love, uh, when he's had as hard of a year as he's had. You have Channing Fry, who comes back to play his last year in the NBA on the Cavs um, and bench warm on the Cavs. It's not like, you know, the Raptors came calling, but he said, ah, I still want to play, so I'm going to go play for the Cavs. Um. So to that end, I, I don't know. I just think this is a really likable team, and uh, I really hope they can keep it that way. I think we talk a lot about Kevin Love trade rumors, and this, for the people who didn't want to trade Love, who saw the value in keeping him around, I think this is kind of showing that where when the franchise is at a low point, you need some guys that can give you a little bit of light at the end of the tunnel, keep things moving, keep a culture intact that's going to be supportive and now, this is where that value is coming through tenfold right now, where you're seeing him take a team that could easily go off the rails and, and turn pretty ugly and keeping it in, in a path that makes you feel good about the future. You know, the, the Nets have been a, a darling for a lot of teams for a while without any real talent on the roster yeah. because they've built a culture. And it, you can kind of see Love creating something kind of like that where, okay, you know, we, we have this spine of this team that, that likes each other, has fun, that keeps things light and is supportive. And that's important. I think that's, I, I, I think that kind of stuff is still important as much as we, you know, just try to use numbers for everything. I think that stuff still counts for something. Yeah. And a late first or whatever you were going to get for Kevin Love at the trade deadline or even this summer, I really still don't think you're going to get a great package, even if he continues to play as well as he is. Um, I just, I can't see it being worth it for the Cavs. Um, barring some crazy roster construction changes that warrant it. And I know I tweeted this, but you were talking about Tristan Thompson as being somebody who's been there. I don't think anything's funnier than him being the 
vocal leader of the team, the guy who answers questions every time when there's a bad loss, when there's bad stuff going on, he stands up, he gives the answers. You know, he's always kind of being the guy who is willing to, to take that for the team. And his personal life just being like totally reckless and ridiculous is hilarious in light of like how he's the bedrock of kind of <laughs> the yeah, Cavaliers. It just kind of shows you how much these guys like, you know, cause I was thinking about that too. It really shows you how much these guys are able to compartmentalize for the most part. <laughs> mm-hmm. Like you would think, and, and maybe it's just a byproduct of the Cavs being so bad that, th- that, that story, like if Tristan played in a more major market, I think that story hangs over and is more of an annoyance than it's been this year. Really, no one seems to care on this side of things, and maybe that's because Spencer Davies is the only guy's going guy going to Cavs practice. <laughs> <laughs> but but yeah, I, and but nobody's following him around with cameras around Cleveland. I mean, he hasn't played in a long time. You, you could easily be you know tracking his every movement, but we just don't really care all that much. No, and it's kind of nice. Um, he he really has been kind of a bedrock for this team especially while love was out those two kind of do set the tone for this team and it does make me a little concerned for any zion drafting you know like like what does that mean for these guys if it, those two are the most affected if the cavs draft zion williamson um and it's like i i know that that's not the business we're in right now as a fan base and like i'm sure a lot of people listening to this are scoffing because they're like dude who gives a shit about Tristan Thompson? You're about to draft Zion Williamson, but you know that these cultures do matter. Um, and you know, on a personal level, I'm just very fond of that pairing. Yeah, we've seen that pairing dominate. We've seen it, you know, take us to the best sports memories we'll ever have. So you don't want to give it up, and it's also still really effective. So it's hard to, you know, when you're thinking about upgrades for the team, that's not the first place you go by any means. So it, that makes it hard. I agree that. Clearly, he's a no-brainer if you get the first pick, but it does create some really awkward situations. Like, what do you think they would do? Do they can he play the three at all? No, like, I don't know what no. they do. So, what do you do with Love? I think what you ultimately have to do is just play him and Love together um, in the short term. Uh, but maybe that that means they move Love. You know, I I don't want them to. You know, it's it's a tough balance to strike because. So many people have scoffed at the Cavs fans for just enjoying the nostalgia of everything um, and for the Cavs building a roster towards that. And, uh, you know, I think right now we're kind of seeing them reap the benefits of that kind of construction, having guys who have won on this team, uh, helping the young guys learn how to win. But there is a logical end to that where you have to say, you know, nostalgia, culture, they're great, but Zion effing Williamson is here. We have yeah, to you know, to, to to use an example from from Cleveland, the Browns were a tire fire, and Baker Mayfield kind of single handedly is pulling them out of that. You know, talent and and that kind of transcendent talent can do a lot. That culture can do some, but you know, talent yeah, still culture, outweighs that. So you have to yeah, culture builds the Atlanta Hawks that the Cavs railroaded. <laughs> exactly. You know, like culture and fit and playing for each other that's all nice but uh you know when talent comes calling that 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 is what ultimately wins are you um are you at all concerned about uh the draft placement right now well i i'm notoriously negative about this i i i just assume we're picking six or seven so you and so you don't care how many games they win at the end of the year 
No, not really. I don't either. But really, it's mostly selfish. It's just, it just means I had more fun nights to end the year. Like, yeah, it, it feels also like it's just going to be pure luck if we jump. Like the odds just they don't change enough at the top. So I, the odds of getting to the top two or three don't change that much. And I don't care that much about drafting fifth through seventh. Yeah, like, like I don't think that changes anything. It for does me. feel to me that if I'm not at least drafting three, which is the you know that's. And that's just hoping a a point guard needy team takes Moran at two. Um, if I'm not drafting at three, it doesn't seem to matter. I mean, we had Trevor Magnati come on this podcast. And he basically was like, yeah, if you fall to like six, you should probably trade down, which it seems so antithetical uh, in the NBA. But really, if there's no star there, you just want extra cracks. Um, and boy, it would be weird to see the Cavs at like three first rounders next year. I'm not sure how that and would I work. But is trading down the NBA like does it I don't know that that gets you that far. I guess Well, it depends. I think it really depends because it's like you never trade down out of the top five, but it does seem to be more of a crapshoot past that top five. Like I mean, look at the last like twelve eighth overall picks. I Justin always cites it all the time. I think the best eighth overall pick in the last like fifteen years is Al Farouk Aminu. Like it's you know it's such a crapshoot at that point. So if you are picking seventh, it's like, well, you might as well pick twelve and twelfth and sixteenth, or you know whatever. It's it's not you know apples to apples on the on the draft value chart like the NFL has. By the way, how crazy is that the is it that the NFL just has a chart that's like yeah that's worth the, that much? I know. Like and, like fuck like fuck, not fuck every draft player is value. It's just like no, that's how much it's worth. So. And like the numbers. difference in drafts, the, the thing that I think I've learned the most from the Cavs over the last few years is, or before LeBron came back, is just the difference in talent per draft. Yeah. You, know, you can get the first overall draft and it can be LeBron or Anthony Davis. Or you can get the first overall pick and it can be Anthony Bennett. And it, it, there's just huge differences in the amount of talent that's available from year to year. So pretending that all draft picks are, are, are the same and can just be valued the same is insane. Yeah. You, you would kind of think actually that we would have like that the pair, the difference from draft to that draft wouldn't be so large anymore. You know, just as like we invest a lot of money culturally in developing the developing basketball players, you know, like we work really, really hard to get these guys as much training as we can. We don't, we try not to miss anyone. Like we're scouting these kids when they're 13, 12 even. And it's like, how do we have this much disparity? Is talent that rare? Right. We're literally saying and have been saying all day that if you have the eighth pick in the draft, you might, it just doesn't even matter. You might as well just throw it in the trash. <laughs> Pretty much what we've said on this podcast so far. And that's like, the eighth player in a draft that's saying in a, in a given year, you can't even make, you know, five or six or seven super high quality, really good basketball players. It's kind of crazy. Yeah. It's just, it, you know, at least the NFL, you know, that there's not always hits in the first round, but you can always find some sleepers. There's always talent in every NFL draft. Um, there are, you know, there are crazy good ones, but very rarely I feel, do you hear about like, Oh yeah, that NFL draft, was garbage. One of the worst draft classes of all time. Do you feel like you hear that? It's normally like only a, no. a couple first busts out that you'll see, like, you know, like the Reggie Bush Vince Young class. 
like this. yeah you'll have some like top tens that were bad but you very rarely have like a whole draft where you just think that nobody good came yeah. from an entire draft yeah draft. normally it's just like yeah that team fucked up not yeah there there was no winning yeah we're screwed um but drafts are stressful nom and life can be stressful <laughs> But getting life insurance shouldn't be. That's why there's Ethos. Ethos is a modern kind of life insurance that's super fast, incredibly affordable, and very uncomplicated. Do you, do you have life insurance, Nam? I do have life insurance. Well, if you didn't, you could go to getethos.com. There's no medical exams for policies covering under a million dollars, which that seems high. Um uh, no hours of paperwork or meeting with pushy representatives. It only takes 10 minutes to apply, and you can rest assured knowing you've taken steps to protect your family, and in most cases with Ethos. You can have that peace of mind for less than a cup of coffee a day, Nam, with no hidden fees. So, uh, you know, so save save the money on that Frappuccino, Nam, and, 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 and sign up. Having life insurance can free you from stress. Getting life insurance shouldn't cause it. Discover! how uncomplicated life insurance can be at ethos get your free instant quote and submit your complete application in minutes just go to getethos.com. that's e-t-h-o-s get ethos.com get ethos.com I, I do notice on that read and i and i hope i don't burn any bridges here now they don't have you spell the word get making some assumptions there yeah yeah i i just i i want to know if you think that the Cavs are having more fun over this last stretch of wins or you doing live reads. Dude, which, which one enjoys life more? I love doing live reads. Um, but I, I, as much as I love it, that's how much I hate it when I forget to do it and or Justin and I forget to do it and we have to do it after the show and then shoehorn it into a spot. So uh, there's no magic. Yeah, well, there's no magic. There's no rhythm to it. And there's no shitty segues. Another thing about this ad read that's been throwing me for for weeks, uh, Nam, uh, and, and this is <laughs> peeling back the curtain just a little bit more. <laughs> um, they put a space on the read between Git and Ethos.com. So I've been wondering all along whether the URL was GitEthos.com or just Ethos.com, and they were just having you say Git. Um, but I, I can't. Did you do some research? I can confirm. Just looked it up. Um, Mid banter that it's getethos.com. So we can actually consider this an extended read. So you're welcome, uh, getethos.com. <laughs> and, and that's g e t e t o s dot com. So uh, you know, sign up uh, and support the podcast. If you, if you're in need of some life insurance, which always should protect your family, let's move forward to next season. Now that we're done, done talking about something that's completely unrelated to the Cavaliers. Um, it, it's a really interesting spot where I can't figure out how good they are now. Um, because on one hand, this is a team some people thought might be competing for a playoff spot this year. I was not one of those. I don't know where you where you landed on that. No, I didn't. I did. I thought they were pretty much guaranteed to be bottom five record. Okay, uh, so we were in the same neighborhood, um, but I don't think anyone thought they were going to be as bad as they were for stretches at the front of this year. No, no, for sure. And that's pretty across the board. But in fairness, we didn't have Kevin Love playing. He's the best player on the team, and now that he's back. 
you kind of see how much they miss him uh, when he's not. And he missed 50 games. But on the other end of the token, nobody knows about fraudulent late-season runs quite like the Cleveland Cavaliers. Because I remember us talking about how, you know, Dion was scoring 20 a game from March to April. So uh, David Zavak's entire Gmail at one point, I think, was just emails from me about those last 20 or 30 games where Kyrie <laughs> was out and Dion was going crazy. He like probably has nightmares about that stretch. So to that end, like, I don't know. What do you think about what this team's talent level is and what kind, how good of a team they are? Um, whether they're just feasting on some bullshit teams that are tanking uh, or, or if this team is actually a little better than we thought they were midseason. It reminds me a lot of kind of like the heat a couple of years ago where, you know, you don't want to fall in love with the, with the second half of a year and think that that's where things are going. It's only been, you know, what, 10 games here or whatever. Um, if you look, what are the guys with, with high ceilings or, or big talent levels that you're excited about? Yeah. it's you know, Love has been good, but, I looked up that he has a higher shooting percentage on threes than twos this yeah. year. Like, like this is not, he, he's not for playing at like a super he's crazy not high level. 28 and 14. Right. And you know, Tristan's been out, but he at his best is a really good role player. Sexton's shown a, a ton of, of positive things, but I, I don't think we're saying he's going to be a superstar type level guy. You know, he's shown some really exciting things, but I don't think the talent there is, is screaming star level. Jetty's fun. Nance is fun. You know, I'll, we've got we've got a bunch of guys who are fun, and we just kind of need to slot in another high talent guy. So if we're not going to get a high talent guy, then I think next year's could be pretty ugly again. Even if, let's say, just for the sake of a hypothetical, and there isn't much evidence to suggest that this is going to happen anymore, but even if Love is healthy all year, let's say he plays. 75 games how many games do the Cavs win with the with sec with this roster plus you know uh, a solid top five pick maybe not a Zion not a you know franchise changer but let's say like a, yeah, like a Culver or Reddish or something like that and then obviously the Rockets uh first as well oh yeah yeah um I mean they I don't think they crack 30 or anything do you I think they could be flirting with 30, which is not a good team. You know, like, I don't think we're being outrageous and suggesting that, you know, I don't think anyone thinks that's like a good team. I just think they might be somewhere in the mid-level of competence. Um, But I will say, like, we've talked a lot about these flattened lottery odds. And, you know, there's all these like really, um, (laughs) I'm just going to say it's mean, but like, like, there's like faux intellectualism about, about these new odds, like all these people like kind of bragging that like, Hey, you know, this isn't going to stop tanking. It was like, yeah, like I don't really think anyone thought it would, but what it's really going to do is when there is a team that is kind of lurking on that playoff periphery, but you know, just isn't quite there yet from a talent perspective, we're going to see those teams jump up a little bit more often. So it's not really the worst case scenario if the Cavs are winning 27, 28 games, you know? Like, how good would the Hornets look if they added Zion Williamson and to pair with Kemba? Or, hell, the Heat or the Wizards, these teams that are in that, like, lower middle tier of the East um, that are going to have the odds to have much better odds to jump up. So I don't know. It, it does feel like that's kind of their future is, like, 
you know, they're probably going to, let's say they'll probably pick third or fourth or fifth this year. Uh, now, if they jump past the, the bulls, then maybe that looks a little darker, but they'll probably be around that space. Where do you think they're going to pick next year? So I, I agree with you on the lottery odds that the way to play this now is to build a roster that is just like the Cavs, where it's, it's a really high-functioning roster but is not winning too many games because of a talent deficit and hope you jump up from six or seven one year and hit it. Because I think that's what the NBA wants, right? That's kind of what this is built for, is these teams that were always mediocre. You use Charlotte as an example, but if Charlotte could have hit another lottery at some point, they would have been a pretty fun team. And they just never could do that. So I, I kind of like the idea of building this roster that's devoid of the star and hoping over the next two or three years you happen to hit the lottery and can intersect a, you know, a star coming in or a high-level draft pick coming in with love and uh, with some of these role-playing guys and hope that you kickstart. You know, before, you had to tank multiple years before you could get enough talent and then try to be good. And so everybody's like, well, you had that star for seven or eight years. And you'd be like, well, yeah, but we didn't. You couldn't really try to win until you're three or four of that. Yeah. I think now you can try to win a little bit earlier and you can set yourself up for that. So I definitely think that's kind of the way to go. And I would even use that in the draft. You know, we're talking about trading back. If you're picking five, six, seven, I don't know, just pick a high floor wing that you know is probably going to develop into a three and D guy and just keep building out that roster for when you do hit the lottery. You know, that guy's not going to win you too many games but he'll be there and be talented for when you do hit the lottery and Zion, you know, the next Zion. Yeah, go find you team. a Robert Covington or something like that. Yeah. So just keep filling out the roster with high floor guys. You know, all right, so we don't have a chance at a star. Let's go for the high floor guy. And also, you know, high floor, high ceiling in the NBAs. It seems like we throw that around too much that because true. a lot of guys just develop into something you never expected. You know, Kawhi wasn't supposed to be this or Paul George or Jimmy Butler, or a lot of the really good players. I'll, I'll bring it up supposed again to be really good players. Paul George was second team. All whack his last year in college. He couldn't make first team all whack. <laughs> so I think that sometimes we like talk about ceiling and I don't know that we really, I think ceiling a lot of times just means athleticism, but yeah, um, yeah, for sure. I, and so I think that there's, you know, pick a guy that you know is going to be an, an NBA player and build out your roster so that whenever that star hits, you've already hit the ground running on that next rebuild yeah. and you, have, you can maximize it. And once your season's done, sure, tank just like everyone else does. Like that's, you know, there's no real shame in that. They're never going to fix that unless they just change the incentive, the entire incentive structure that every American professional sport is built around. <laughs> And only NBA fans whine about for some reason. Yeah, and like I guess like whatever, it doesn't really bother. I just don't get what what the hubbub is about it. You know, are you really fucking watching these teams? Are you really like tuning in? Like, is your casual NBA fan complaining about tanking really watching every Suns game? Just thinking like, oh man, this just sucks to watch, bro. Like the only people who complain about tanking are losers that would watch the NBA no matter what the product is. And it feels like a little bit of a self-fulfilling prophecy where it's like, well, you don't want all these good players to be on these bad teams, so we need to get all the good players on just a couple of teams. It's like, well, that just makes the gap between the good teams and the bad teams wider and makes you complain more because a team with one star is shit now. Yeah. When, you know, so what are we supposed to do here? Just only have stars on like 10 teams? All I know is that 
doing what Twitter probably wants the NBA to do and what what Twitter wants the NBA to do is functionally build the league around their their interests set, right? Like, which is a natural instinct to have. Like, I want this league to be exactly the way I want it to be because it's my favorite league, which makes sense. But the NBA is never going to do that because we are hopelessly obsessed. <laughs> like, they need to build their league towards everyone else. Uh, yeah, they're not going to pick us, the pathetic losers. Yeah, they're, they're going to pick normal people with adjusted lives. Yeah, like, like we can complain about the Warriors till the cows come home, but we're still going to be watching to see De'Aaron Fox and Marvin Bagley developing in Sacramento. Like, <laughs> like we're not the target demo for most for most of the league's goals. So, and that's okay. That's that's the way that it probably should be because the league would probably be insufferable if it was the way NBA Twitter. <laughs> Wanted it to mm-hmm. be. Um, pivoting back to the Cavs, though, um, Jetty's played a lot of good games in, in a row, uh, barring outside of that, you know, six game stretch or so where he kind of talked about where, you know, where he was just out with the tweaked ankle. It's getting a little crazy. Your thoughts? Yeah. And I feel like we all went crazy when he came out and his shot suddenly looked like Corver's shot. Yeah. And I feel like it didn't like the, the results didn't match the, the process there for a while, but it feels like that's starting to happen now a little bit where shots are starting to fall. They're start, you're starting to feel more confident every time he goes up. And it, it seems, you know, we're talking about love, but like having somebody else out there who's just a high functioning basketball player has unleashed him a little bit. Like he's having some fun. He's able to get creative. And I wonder if that's part of it too. Just when you've got a bunch of, you know, lack of talent, lack of experience, it's hard to kind of, do the feel thing and, and just kind of create and have fun. And he's, he's able to do that a little bit more. Cause it kind of seems like Sexton's doing that a little bit too, where the game is coming a little bit easier where they're doing things where you're like, Oh, I didn't really know he had that. And I, I wonder if they're just starting to get a little more confident and have a little bit more creativity. Up. That jetty release is getting really, really fast on those threes. I mean, he is shooting without a conscious uh, as of late and it's just really encouraging. Like, and it looks good coming off his hands every time. And I, I think that's actually a really good point that process is starting to match results. And a big part of that is like, it's hard to shoot like Kyle Korver does, you know, like right. you can say, okay, well, he's got good form, but like a lot of times he's catching it on the move and like being set to get a shot off as quick as Kyle Korver does is no lean task. Even, even if you're, even if your hand, your elbows pointed right and you get it off quick, doesn't mean your footwork's right. doesn't mean your base is under you. Like that's practice. That that's stuff that you have to adjust to, especially at game speed. So, I mean, the fact that it is starting to look good and it really is getting to the point where when he goes up to shoot, I think it's going to go in. And have you noticed that the entire team has suddenly, and I wish I had looked up the stats to back this up, but it seems like they're hunting threes way more than they yeah, did they shot a couple like weeks 50 ago against the against the Magic. Like Sexton has been taking a step back and doing threes. Chetty's coming off everything and, and launching. I mean, he's just not scared of shooting at all. It just seems like they're they're playing a little bit. The thing that we've wanted all year, sure. yeah, all year. I've been very against Larry Drew um, because of that. Because I, you know, we we're talking about culture and setting up just kind of a, a standard on your team, and they weren't playing a modern game. But all of a sudden, it's like and I, and Chetty, I think, is kind of the the poster boy of that. Like he's just not scared to launch at all right now, and. You know, it's awesome to see because 
it's what you want. You want to build that on the team where they're, they're trying to play the right way. And if that's part of his game now, it changes his ceiling quite a bit. The thing about Jetty that has actually been almost just as encouraging as the three-pointer, which I will say this, the, in order for Jetty to become even close to the floor that of an NBA player that we hope he's going to be, which is good 3 and D guy with a little side playmaking, um, the three is the most important component to me. Um, he's got to be a guy who can be a low usage player by being a floor spacer and, and drawing gravity. And I'm not quite sure he's at the gravity portion of his shooting development just yet. Like guys aren't, you know, screaming uh, off pin downs, trying to get, trying to close out on him. But once he's that, it, that does feel like the most important, but what I've been so encouraged with, it feels like he's really getting better finishing the basketball recently. Yeah. I definitely agree with that. And he's, and he's going up and he's, he's being decisive, whether he's going for the shot or where he's going to the rim, he's, he's attacking pretty quickly. It seems like the whole speed of the team has, has been all moved, turned up a notch. Like they're all making decisions just a little bit faster. Yeah. I mean, definitely is going. For he's getting a lot of shots up recently too. I mean, sure. It's normally three to four threes a game, I guess really closer to five threes a game. Um, and then about six or seven twos. And that does feel like the right split for him. Um, the, the free throw line thing, I'm wondering if it's ever going to come for him. Yeah, I don't know that that's – I don't know that he goes up for that. Um, he seems like he's always trying to kind of wind around guys or, or not really kind of go through guys or, or initiate that contact. He's always trying to get creative Well, he's just there. not that vertical of a, of a finisher, you know, and I think a big part of drawing fouls to some extent is it's hard to draw fouls when you are so below the rim. Um, you know, I think of like the way Kyrie or Steph finishes. Um, those guys aren't great foul drawers either. Sometimes you do have to go up and meet someone um, and kind of force the issue that way. But these, you know, when you're finishing below the rim, it often forces you to take creative angles and these kind of scoopy, flippy shots. And those just don't draw fouls that often. You know, for all we shit on Harden for, he does finish upwards through contact. So, yeah, he seeks out the contact. He's not scared to absolutely try to initiate it. He's not trying to get the most creative spin off the backboard. He's just trying to get into a guy and, and make that happen. Yeah, and and you know, I think that is he's a more he's more of an above the rim finisher than people think he is too. And I think that's a factor. You know, he gets high in the air and he forces contact at weird angles that guys like Jetty got and you know, it's funny that I'm comparing Jetty to Kyrie, but like he really doesn't go up to finish that often i mean when he dunked that when he hit that reverse dunk against i want to say new york to ice the game no it was memphis it wasn't a reverse it was like kind of a wraparound uh dunk um i was really kind of shocked i mean i'll bet he has less than double digit dunks in his career for a guy who's six eight yeah, that wouldn't shock me. And he's athletic, you know, he's fast. And he, he'll get after vertical. one. Like if he gets on a fast break every now and then he'll put one down. But yeah, he's not he's not doing that with a guy in his face and he's not doing that through traffic. Very, very rarely. Uh and when he has, he's kind of gotten blocked a decent amount. So I think he kinda <laughs> has to load up a little bit too much. Um he's not a, an easy jumper. I'm sure if we had Trevor on, he would have a an, a cool, sexy scouting term for it. But, um, you know, I don't I don't think he just kind of glides up into the air like some of the, the best leapers do. It, it takes a bit more effort. Um, 
I like that Trevor's going to have Cavs Twitter like wound on Jared Culver by the Oh, yeah. I love Like everybody else in the NBA is going to wonder what the hell we're so excited about because he's got us like going. He's got me like completely talked into Yeah, Trevor is like, um, God, he needs to get a, someone needs to pay him to do this full time. Uh, I don't know. Did you read his uh, Zion piece about uh, about an injury risk? No, I haven't read it yet. Yeah, he really broke, he really broke it down. And uh, anyone who was interested, because that's a thing Justin and I have talked about a lot on this podcast is that we're like, He's a big guy, uh, you know, very athletic, just feels dangerous to, to, to take him uh, from a health perspective. And he really does a good job of dispelling that. He really talked me off that ledge. So, yeah, Trevor's, Trevor's really, really good at what he does. And I, I hope someone, um, you know, pays him for it uh, full time soon. Uh, so I hope Trevor gets to quit his day job. Uh, moving forward with this Cavs team, uh, did you uh, get a chance to read the Kevin Love Q&A with The Athletic? Uh, just a little tiny bit of it. He had a really interesting piece, uh, an interesting bit talking about kind of the relationship uh, they the team has with media, uh, or the relationship NBA players have with media more specifically, um, and kind of, it kind of bucked the complaints Kyrie has had uh, where Kyrie is saying like, oh, well, the – you know, media can divide a team. He kind of acknowledges that there is an ecosystem here that makes sense and uh, that both sides kind of feed each other. It's been such a fake news. I'm so sick of hearing that word, that phrase thrown around, but like it still seems it's kind of a battle going everywhere. Kind of how do you feel about how the media covers the NBA right now? I don't think the media is doing anything that, that players and teams and everything aren't trying to put out there. That's, that's the big thing. Like one of the big complaints recently has been the Anthony Davis trade that the media was, you know, putting all these guys in trade rumors. Like, well, Anthony Davis demanded a trade and said a specific team he wanted to go to. Like the, the media didn't have to connect some magic dots there to figure, to, to start putting guys in trade rooms. Like that's how that works. And so, uh, and you know, Kyrie's quotes have all been pretty scary pretty interesting right like there's no reason for people not to be freaking out for that so i i think i think a lot of guys want to have have to hear bill simmons say uh i'm ready to pack up the pack pack up the car and drive him to the airport one more (laughs) (laughs) but i just i think guys kind of want to have their cake and eat it too with that where they want to they want to slip these little quotes they want to they want to cause a stir they want to start all of that but then they get mad when it actually happens and i don't know like you're in an entertainment league and fans are interested and people are going to cover this for the fans that want to read stuff like i i I think we very often lose sight at the end of the day like this is still just entertainment for fans and we get so worried about some of this stuff and and feelings of the players and stuff like i i don't know at the end of the the worst big entertainment it's the worst byproduct of the player empowerment era which I know you are very supportive of and I'm very supportive of like, you know, we don't think guys should be trapped in places they don't want to be and all this stuff. But there is this like, there's a lot of crying for millionaires that doesn't need to happen sometimes. (laughs) Yeah. And I know that you've touched on it, but it's, it's interesting how we talk player empowerment. It's pretty much just what do these top 15 players want? Yeah. Because if you want to talk player empowerment, like what's going on in LA if it truly is because of those trade rumors, like that's the other side of this, like a star player demanded a trade and it screwed up all those other guys 
And it's not fun for Drew Holiday or Alvin Gentry or anybody either. So that's not the media's fault. That's not anybody's fault. <laughs> you know, they, th those guys' lives have all gotten turned upside down because Anthony Davidson said he didn't want to play there anymore, which is totally his right and totally fine. But it's it's it doesn't happen know. in a vacuum. Exactly. To that end, and you're, the, the it's it's a, not a union where you're lifting everyone up. No, it, it's you're not trying to make everyone's life better. What we're really saying is that we want these 15 guys to get away with whatever they want. And everyone else be damned. You know what's really interesting? And it got almost no coverage um, in a way that I found very, very surprising. Um, NBA Players Association elections represented a very significant difference uh, from where, from what we were doing before. Um, LeBron James was the vice president. Um Chris Paul was the president and we saw these guys leverage their, their power in the NBPA, which had kind of traditionally been done by role players. Some stars kind of took over and we saw a lot of changes to the CBA that really benefited those guys. And these elections happened uh, just like a couple weeks ago. And Iguodala is now the vice president uh, replacing LeBron. Malcolm Brogdon, Jalen Brown, Bismack Biombo elected to serve, serve as vice presidents on the executive committee. Um, those guys replaced Carmelo, Steph Curry, and then Iggy, who was who uh, obviously jumped up a notch. It does feel. I wonder if the NBA's middle class is getting ready to strike back. Yeah, which will be interesting, and it's and it's funny because they already kind of benefited from the whole max contracts thing because that lifted, you know. People complain about Tristan's deal and stuff, but that happens because we have max contracts. So th there's been this give and take. It feels like a lot of the problems that st you know stem from just the players union trying to balance that uh, more so than anything that the teams are trying. Yeah, to do. it's such a it's it's a it's not the same as normal unions because all the members are not created equal at all, and one could argue shouldn't be treated equally. You know, like like. I don't know who you're supposed, who's supposed to have power in the NBA players union, uh, but that there's division there in a way that maybe there isn't as much among the owners. Yeah. And I think that we always frame this as, Oh, you're just siding with the billionaire owners. But a, a lot of times it is a bigger question of player versus player and, and who's going to make out on top. And those mid tier guys are, are getting screwed fairly often on all this. Yeah. It's, it's just a really interesting, um, labor labor direction man we got way off topic but it's interesting you know it really it really is um i just i i'm very interested to see where this league is going because you know what i'm kind of sick of is hearing people complain about the health of the league um because a lot of people who like the league are complaining about all these guys exercising their you know basically the ringer uh, coined it pre-agency of these guys saying that they're not going to take these mega extensions. So go ahead and trade me now. And to me, I just see a big rebalancing act going on. You know, if the biggest problem with the NBA right now isn't, I think that guys are moving around. It's no one can beat the warriors. So nothing feels like it matters. There's no weight to any of it. Um, yeah, it will be interesting if KD leaves. Does it reshuffle things a little bit where, to your point, things matter? Yeah. Guys going here, guys going there actually matters, and it, it gives some sort of chance. And does it change the way guys 
ring chase at all. I think it changes all these incentive structures. I think guys are going to be a lot less inherently unhappy in their spots because you don't have to feel like, like, I mean, even if you're on a two-star team right now, you're just sitting there thinking, what's the fucking point? Um, you know, you have to be on this super duper mega insane team or go chase a completely different set of priorities, which is what LeBron did, by the way. Um, but there's no like, there's no real like, unless you're just really happy where you are, there's not really any incentives structure to being kind of unhappy in a play. Yeah, like the, the, the structure of the league does not lead lend to superstar happiness right now because the Warriors are fairly unbeatable. So I wonder if when we see that change, if the, the narrative or, of the, around the league changes and like this player movement insane. stops feeling so negative. And it's kind of been crazy how little like we understand why guys were unhappy. Like between Kyrie yeah. and Kawhi and I guess Butler in Minnesota made some sense. But like, why is KD going to leave? Why yeah, you know, do we think Kawhi is going to leave? Jimmy Butler is probably going to leave. Or, you know, or maybe not probably. But you know, there's a lot of guys that we just don't necessarily understand what is forcing all of this change and why these guys are unhappy and what it is that would make them happy. Like we're, It almost feels like we're kind of this weird point where guys are just kind of unhappy everywhere. And I don't really understand what it is that makes them happy. So maybe if the warriors aren't out there and like the league matters and there's actually a chance to win and, and going places can change that. And it's not all just business decisions. Maybe that starts to make more sense, but it, I, it just seems like guys are kind of moving around without a real goal. Like, I don't know why those guys all want to move. It just seems like they all want to move. Yeah. I will say I, I am pretty firmly in the camp now that this, um, as unpalatable as this pre-agency thing feels in the moment and as frustrating as it is, even especially, I mean, everyone says like, well, we don't care if you demand a trade, but just don't demand to one spot. Don't put the team in a bad spot. But it's still so much better knowing that like you have the option to go take a, an offer from the Lakers for a couple first round picks than just to sit on your hands and wait to lose the guy. Like this feels yeah, better and, to me. And it's so far out in advance that, you know, OKC went after Paul George and Toronto went after Kawhi because there was so much time before they were hit free agency yeah, that still you, made sense to try to trade for someone. And if you and if it works out the way it worked out for George, then all more power to the team taking a risk. Is I just don't see how this is harmful for the league. Um, other than like some like kind of like outdated, like all oh, the you know, these these players aren't honoring their contracts, which isn't you know, you sign the deal, which, sure, I get it. Again, it doesn't feel good. It doesn't feel good for me either. Like, if I'm a Pelicans fan, I'm not thrilled with Anthony Davis. But I think, ultimately, I'd rather be the Pelicans when they trade Anthony Davis this summer than the Cavs in 2010. Oh, yeah, for sure. I think what we've kind of seen is just don't do it during the season. Like, I think that's, that, that's that the biggest takeaway like this, from Anthony you're Davis. You're right. This is, is 100% right. Go ahead. Sorry. Oh, just it, trade demands are one thing. And even Kyrie, he did it like, you know, a week before. I guess we don't know the timeline on that because they didn't hire a GM that entire offseason. But Yikes. doing it midseason changed so much for so many teams. It has tanked, you know, the entire Lakers season. You've put, you know, we talk about the player empowerment thing. Everybody wants, well, AD should get to do what he wants, blah, blah, blah. Like, I don't know. You've got all these season ticket holders and people in that organization that have to go out there and, like, cheer for their team but also watch this guy and alvin gentry's like 
notoriously nice guy and I was like furious about all this then you know that whole roster is just pretty clearly upset with it like it, it it's not a good situation for anyone like sure he was trying to get what he wants and more power to him leverage that but he wrecked like a lot of things. And I think if you just do it in the off season, it changes a lot of that. Yeah. I think this like goes back to, I've been saying this for like years now, which is like, I don't understand this nihilism um, among a certain subsect of NBA fans where it's like, yeah, he can do whatever the fuck he wants. doesn't matter. I was like, well, like, yeah, I mean, I guess any of us could do whatever the hell we wanted and treat people. However we wanted. There is like, a nicer way to do it <laughs> like you could always be nice <laughs> like yeah no we, one's making you be nice but just maybe you should just be considerate yeah there's this weird it's almost like people want want players to wield their power so much that they refuse to think in any way like have any repercussion from it whatsoever yeah like i think teams should be nice to players too <laughs> like i think oh, everyone yeah, should be sure. considerate like yeah like if you have to make an unfortunate decision sure that all stink but like i still think like we should all aim collectively universally uh to be considerate uh no matter how incentives work in the workplace like it just seems so ass backwards yeah you know, i don't know if uh, it's funny i've been becoming more of a ryan Masillo guy every day because i think i see him pushing back against some of this stuff like he was talking about the zion draft stuff about how like the zion should just sit and he said basically that he finds that narrative frustrating because it's like people just hate the NCAA so much that they want him to make this decision to spite the NCAA more than for him. Oh, yeah, for sure. And I think in the NBA version of that is people hate the owners so much. Oh, yeah. That they... And this drives me nuts. And you know, I love Rachel Nichols. I think she's amazing. I think she, you know, everything she touches is is amazing. But she does this a lot, where she frames it as like an owner versus player thing. And like, I don't know. I I don't think of a team like if a team sucks, I'm not thinking of rewarding their owner with a top pick. I'm thinking of rewarding the fan base that's just wants to cheer for their team and wants a little bit of hope. Like, why do we think about owners or any of the stuff when we're making these decisions? Like it, it, it's a, it's an entertainment league for a bunch of people like you and me who just want to watch and basketball. Does, feel, and, does that feel like more he, an NBA heavy thing than any other league? Oh, or yeah, is it just because sure. we're too inside of it? I don't know. Like, I don't feel like, I feel like you only hear about NFL owners in specific spots. It feels like they loom over things in the NBA a little bit more. Yeah, and I mean, I think the politics of those two fandoms are very different, and that's part of it. That's it's a very good point. Like, NBA fans are more likely to care about and detest um, billionaire owners, um, it does feel. Yes. Um, which, you know, I'm not even disagreeing with that. It's just an interesting – it's an interesting angle. I don't know. I just yeah, feel – Yeah, it's interesting. I don't need the NBA to be – if you don't like billionaires, I don't need the NBA to be the place that polices them. <laughs> <laughs> well, boy, would a lot of people on NBA Twitter disagree. With me. <laughs> I don't know. Overall, I think it's a healthy league, man. I think it's a fun league to watch right now. I think it's going to get a lot more fun next year because it does feel like KD's on his way out. Um, and sure, there will always be super teams, but there won't be super teams like this, man. Um, yeah, I think it's an so the only thing that scares me is if Katie and Kawhi or Katie and Kyrie end up in New York and Kawhi and maybe Butler go to the Clippers. That's and not the same. AD. It's not the same. This Warriors team is unbeatable. Oh, a Knicks no, no. Team I mean, a Knicks, Kyrie and Katie is very beatable. 
No, I mean, there is a very real outcome where this summer, the whole big market, small market thumb thing becomes a much bigger conversation Dude, because all of those guys are talking about New York and LA. I think the biggest difference between me and, uh, you know, I normally, I don't feel the difference between uh, myself and our Cleveland natives um, in terms of like fandom. Like mostly I feel like I have a pretty similar ethos. The market size stuff, I just don't care about. I want the Knicks to get guys. I think it's fun when the Knicks are good. You know, I don't, I don't, I, I'll worry about that later. Like when it actually is hurting, when I can't, when I feel like, when I feel like I can't compete because I'm not in New York or LA. Um, but if it's just guys kind of prefer to go there, that doesn't bother me. I don't know. Do you really think that's going to be a big, a big issue moving forward? I think if all of the, if if the rumors that we're hearing now turn out to be real, then I think it could be a little bit ugly, especially with the new lottery odds. Just because I think there's going to be a lot of teams that get stuck being bad with zero hope for ten or fifteen years, pretty easily. Maybe not ten or fifteen, but you know, you could see a team, even though they finished in the bottom, not getting a high pick for a really long time. That's the hard thing about and the new odds. We won't know. I just we won't know how I, much they hurt for we won't have good proof for 10 years and 10 years is a long time to have. If, if, it, if you're right, if that's is what happens, 10 years is a long time before we can make a fix. And I just, or let's say Kemba leaves Charlotte this summer. Oh, man. What's, what's their best path to ever being good again? Cause it's pretty much draft one star, then get a whole bunch of eighth picks and, that star leaves in six or seven years because they couldn't get anybody else. Right. I mean, but isn't that into, already the case somewhat, but I mean, you could do the OKC or the Philly thing where you tank and try to get multiple high picks. I mean, that, that, that route is gone. Now it's pure. We've taken a lot of skill out of front offices because now all there is, is just ping pong balls. It's just the bottom 10 teams are just going to hope that they get the next star every year. And that's really the, the path out. No. Yeah. I guess, it's just a matter of like, it's a path out of, I don't know. Let me, yeah, you, you're challenging me here. I guess what it is, is it's, it, it will be harder to go from God awful to good, but it should theoretically not be as hard to go from God awful to pretty bad. And that's where you can still see a jump. You know, the Hornets can go to try to win 26 games, 28 20 to 35, 25 to 35 wins and still jump up. There's less no man's land. Uh, I guess oh, the no yeah, man's land, no man's I guess land. the no man's land is really just at the very bottom now. And I, I guess tough. my thing is, I don't know how a non glamour bad team ever realistically has a path towards being a, an actual contender without just like an, an insane amount of luck. Yeah, I think like I don't know what the path is. There's no there's no process. There's no drafting Harden, Russ, and Durant. Like there's no there's no hoarding top picks. Like I don't know what the it, path yeah, now I think is it's, get a top five player but, and be bad enough to get another one in in the next five years somehow. I guess my, my counter to that is always it's always been luck. It just takes a different kind of luck. luck. But okay, see in Philly, I mean, those were I mean the Cavs tried to do it too, and I guess you could say it worked. Yeah, in an ass backwards sort of way. Um, right, I don't know. But it, it was still the process that they fought. But, you know, like, I guess it, that, but a lot even of people that would tell fun. you Philly's not a real contender. 
And they're probably not. So, like, but, there are only so many real contenders every year. Uh, it's always going to be pretty limited. Now, if we see, like, 10 straight years of L.A., New York, Boston in the finals, you know, that'd be kind of a bummer, I guess. But it also might be what the league wants. So, again, this might be one of those spots where it's, like, what we want is not aligned with what the league truly wants. I do sort of wonder if it feels like there's so many good players and the NBA has a lot of hype and we're kind of built for the, we, I, I'm, I'm in the NBA now, um, kind of built for like the social media age and the, the younger generation is obsessed. I, I wonder if, if at some point, can't we just drop the, the league needs LA and New York to be good? Like at what point can stars in any market be good? You know, why can't we be the NFL? Why can't the NBA be the NFL on that kind of stuff? I don't like, think the NBA needs amazing. those teams to be good. I think players just like living there. And, and it just it's like it's just bonus points though i feel like if i'm adam silver those teams being good is more bonus points than anything you know it's like oh not only are they really good and marketable they're in new york it does feel like the players have a much larger desire to hit those markets than even the nba does for those markets to be good and it feels for some reason i don't know it's weird i don't i don't get why I, I, I'm thrown by the Clippers being even a theoretical destination, though I've got a take, Nam, before we before we sign off here. I think most of the noise about these guys all wanting to go to the Clippers is coming from the Clippers. Oh. I think that team is fucking leaking left and right. I think they're super interested. I think Lee Jenkins is in there. I think, I think they are super. <laughs> I just get the vibe. Like, Why would that have changed all of a sudden? They've never signed anyone. Because Jerry West's 95-year-old ass is there. I just don't buy it. <laughs> and, you know, and I'll believe it when I see it, man. Because it just I just get the vibe that ultimately they are going, they are trying to... It's, it's like the... Uh, are you an Arrested Development guy? Yeah. It's Tobias Funke at the water cooler. <laughs> <laughs> like, oh, I hear that Funke is, is, a, is a tour de force. It's like I hear the I hear the I hear Katie's looking at the Clippers. Like, just say that sentence. You feel like a moron. It's just, and that's fair, but it's just weird how much it's weird I'm how just many guys that, yeah. have forced their way out of a position with no real rhyme or reason behind why they want to go somewhere else. And that you know, like Kawhi, like it, all the rumors are that he's not staying in LA or in Toronto. Right. And so where is he going to go? I, it just, it's almost like they have to be the one because I don't know where else people are. And that's, unless yeah. LeBron's got, I get that. I just don't get what, I just don't get what makes the Clippers so goddamn attractive all of a sudden after they've continued to be a laughing stock. And now they're just a team of tryhards. It just doesn't make sense fair. to me. Anyway, well, I mean, Doc Rivers had such a happy go lucky team. You know, last <laughs> yeah, time no kidding. Ah, so. oh, Wow. That was a sprawling, rambling uh, podcast, which uh, <laughs> which kind of uh, fits every conversation we've ever had, Jeff. So thank you so much for coming on. Uh, where can we find you on Twitter.com? Uh, Sportsnom on the Twitters. Every now and then I write for Waiting for Next Year. Uh, so look me up. I'm always on there. Well, uh, thank you guys so much for listening to the podcast. I believe Justin will be back on Wednesday so he can tell you all about um, you know, the, I don't know, the, the taquitos he had and how good they were. Um, 
looking forward to having him back. Uh, if you'd like <laughs> to support the podcast, please rate and review. Subscribe on iTunes. If you'd like to be in our exclusive Chase Down Discord chat, please review us on iTunes. Send us a screen grab to chasedownpod at gmail.com or just DM me or Justin and we'll get you an invite. Nam, can we get a quick testimonial for the, for the chat? I, we don't always have a, a... We've had two Discorders in a row on. Yeah, I, I think the, the Chase Down Discord is probably better than Twitter at this point. Like, I go there first. Yeah. With, with, with takes and with news when news breaks to see what everybody's saying. I feel like it's, it's kind of like having a really nice curated Twitter list um, of, of really good basketball conversation. And, my, and lots of like fans of different teams and, and people differing opinions, but you know, there, there's kind of a level of, of intelligence that comes with it that you don't get on Twitter. You know what? It's more than intelligence to me. It, the thing I like so much about it is no one's trying to fucking dunk on each other. Yeah, Twitter has turned into that really bad. And like, I agree. Whether, that whether it's parts. a political dunk or not, it's just like, or even just like, I have like kind of a fun, interesting take and I like to, and like, Sometimes you throw a takeout on Twitter that is not like that serious and you'll just like get absolutely destroyed for it. Uh, it's like, well, I was just like having some fun brainstorming here. We didn't need to do that. And like, uh, like it's just a kind of a nice, nice little um, friendly haven uh, to, to be a Cavs fan or just a regular NBA fan. So please join up if, you, if you're interested. Um, thank you so much to uh, Jeff for coming on. Thanks to the Blue Wire for sponsoring us. Thank you for Justin uh, for, uh, you know, treating himself a little bit. And as always, go Cavs.